Cool. Okay. This one's going to work. Okay. So before we really get into it, um, who I am. Um, like they said, my name is Nick Cannon. Uh, I am on a leadership team with FCA here. I've uh, been on leadership for the last two years. Um, it's been a really big blessing. I also play football for football here. Um, and honestly, I really just do love Jesus. I've really fallen in love with the academic study and just the study of God's word since being in college. Um, in a cool way, I think sometimes I nerd out about it a little bit too much. So I'm gonna try to keep it simple for you guys tonight um, and share kind of a lot of the things the Lord has taught me in the last six to eight months um, and is continuing to teach me on a daily basis. Um, things that I think have really changed my daily experience of life in general. Um, and also I hope maybe can offer some encouragement to you guys. Um, before we start though, I, I thought about like, what would be the worst case scenario of like things that could happen while I was up here speaking. And so if either of, if either of these two things happen, we're just gonna all pretend like they don't. I'm gonna walk out those doors and you're never gonna see me again. But I thought like two, two worst case scenarios. One, nosebleed. Mid, mid talk, nosebleed. I got like a, I got like a paper towel just in case. Like I, it really freaked me out, I'm not gonna lie. But, um, and then I think the other thing was probably is arguably way worse. Um, and I think it's probably the worst thing that could possibly happen to somebody is you get up here and you get the hiccups. So if I start hiccuping, just I'm going to walk out those doors. You're all going to walk out those doors and we're never going to talk to each other again. So, but I'm just, I thought I'd throw it out there just in case so that if it does happen, then, you know, it's at least it's out there. Right. So, okay. Now, now we can get into it. <laughs> okay. So um, first things first, I, I do want to address the audience in a, in a way um, I know that there's a wide variety of people in this room from really mature believer to non-believer to people that grew up in church to people that don't know anything about church. Um, and so I think while this message isn't going to answer every question everybody in this room has or, or, or you know, touch on everything that everybody deals with, um, I hope that it can speak a little bit to every person in their specific walk. Um, for the non-believer, someone who maybe doesn't believe in God or, or, or maybe has some type of concept of a higher power but doesn't necessarily believe in, in a relationship or have an active relationship with Jesus, I hope this message offers you a glimpse into the beautiful promises of God um, that can be tangibly experienced in a relationship with Christ um, through, the whole, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, to the believer, to the ones walking with the Lord, um, whatever stage of your walk you're on, I hope that these words are an encouragement, um, a reminder of the promises that, that we have um, and can tangibly experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so before we get into anything, I think I just want to open in prayer. So if you guys bow your heads with me, I'll pray for us. <sighs> okay. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I, um, I pray tonight for everybody in this room. I pray for open ears and uh, open minds, Lord. I pray um, that you would speak through me tonight, Lord. I pray that um, just one person would maybe be impacted um, by your word tonight, Lord. I pray that your purpose and your will um, would be accomplished I thank you for this opportunity, um, and truly, I just hope that your name would be magnified tonight through this opportunity. Um, 
to be up here, God. I pray that you would be with me um, and that you would speak through me. So, in Jesus' name, amen. So, to start, I kind of want to expose something that I think all of us face, believe it or not. Um, just kind of a simple reality that, that comes with living in the modern age that we experience. Um, so I think when asked, a lot of us would probably characterize our daily experience of life as often busy, stressful, overwhelming, tiring, anxiety-inducing, hurried, unsatisfying, um, and I think the list goes on. And I think, you know, funny enough, a lot of us have accepted these feelings as, as a part of us or as if we're doing something wrong and we need to get away from them. But I think we've also accepted that simply sometimes they're the consequence of just living, of being in college, of being an athlete, of whatever you do. Um, and so, however, I think it's cool when we can look at, at kind of at science and psychology and um, psychologists and mental health, health experts I've actually been talking about these widely experienced feelings um, kind of as an epidemic, um, coming, coining the phrase hurried sickness, which they've diagnosed as an actual mental health disease that I think in a lot of ways, a lot of us are probably sick from to some extent or another. Um, it can be categorized as continual rushing and anxiousness, feeling chronically short of time or behind. Um, Maya Friedman, the psychologist famous for theorizing the type A personality, said it's a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in what feels like less and less time. I think symptom, symptoms are irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, emotional numbness, um, and even things like moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster or counting the cars in front of you and getting in the lane with less cars or that's going faster. I think also to pair with that, a lot of us feel similar types of feelings towards our relationships with God. I think often the majority of our daily experience, the majority of our life experience is that we don't really feel God. We don't really hear God. Um, it often feels like he is absent or silent, um, uh, often way more than he's present with us. We might have a, a mountaintop experience, but then the rest of it is, feels like it's in the valley. Um, I think to start, though, our problem is not our absence, or our problem is not his absence, but ours. It's way more about our distraction than it is about his disconnection. But I don't know about y'all, a lot of the things I just kind of talked about match kind of the description of my life um, in a lot of ways and, and a lot of the daily, the daily experiences um, I think a lot of us face. Um, an interesting point that kind of was like, Kind of big in my life recently is psychologists tell us that anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine. It's our soul's way of telling us that something is deeply wrong. Um, I think that's interesting, but because I know for me, anxiety is, a, is definitely something that is a daily struggle um, and comes and goes. But, you know, it's interesting that that's our soul's way of telling us something is deeply wrong. Um, so what's the point? The point is a hurried and overbusy and anxious life is simply the norm in Western culture, um, yet it's toxic. Um, if you know anything about Jesus, he offers an upside down experience of life, one that goes against the culture. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But I think certain things that cause this, it started back with the invention of the clock and then the light bulb and then the internet and then the iPhone and Netflix and social media and blah, 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 blah. The list goes on, but there's a million things in this world now stealing our attention, stealing our time alone. Um, 
you know, an interesting fact. Before the invention of the light bulb, human beings on average slept 11 hours a night. And I don't know about y'all, but I probably haven't slept 11 hours since I was 11. And so, like, it's just, it's, it's how our culture is moving. And it's just, it's interesting. But in, in a lot of ways, it's more productive, but it's also um, much more busy. And that has its own harm. So what are we missing? Um, the wonderful poet Mary Oliver said, attention is the beginning of devotion. We must first set our gaze on the one that is worthy of devotion. We must turn our minds attention to the God who is with us. So it starts with uh, fixing your attention. Um, the mind is the portal to the soul. What you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. Matthew 8.36 says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I think our culture is making our souls at risk. This is the, da this is the danger that we live just um, in the society that we're in. Hurry, busyness, these things are a form of violence on the soul. Um, and, and why is that? Because the noise of our world, the busyness, the phones, and everything that we have constantly surrounding us um, drowns out the voice of God. Think about it, right? Love is wildly time-consuming. And developing and cultivating relationships are really time-consuming. You can't rush that and expect another to feel loved or cared for by you. You can't be in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even a friend and try to rush through it and expect there to be any type of intimacy. Um, and so the same goes with our relationship with God and the same goes with our experience. So not only does a hurried life disconnect us from, disconnect us from other people, but it also disconnects us from God. And then that overwhelming numbness that we feel dampens our experience of the times we even do spend with each other. So I think, what, what is the real danger? Um, sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off our connection to God, they cut off our connection to other people, and they even cut off our own connection to our soul. 80 years ago, C.S. Lewis, um, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, um, uh, wrote almost prophetically on this topic. Um, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a fictional written account to record conversations between two devils on how best to corrupt humanity, Screwtape, the more experienced devil, instructs his younger counterpart, Wormwood, on their grand plan by saying this, Our plan is very simple, just to create so much noise in the world that man can no longer hear the voice of God. And that was 80 years ago. And I just think that's the direction our world has moved and continues to move. But think about it. Every moment of our day can be filled with a stimulus. Sitting at a red light, sitting in line at a coffee shop, walking to class, the list goes on. We can immediately pull out our phones, almost like without even thinking about it, and you're instantly just like doing something. And so every moment from morning to evening can be filled with something else besides ever spending time in your thoughts and prayer and whatever um, and, it, and, it's, and it's harmful, um, besides, you know, maybe time in the shower or whatever. Um, and it's interesting because Christianity and psychology agree on this. These things are hurting us, and they're causing, um, they're one of the causes of the mental health crisis that we all kind of know and experience um, in our daily life. So the renowned philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard said, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day because sin and hurry affect us the same way. So hopefully, you know, in the last little bit, I've kind of convinced you why this is harmful. Um, and if you know anything about Jesus, he offers an upside-down, completely 
backwards, like the song we just sang, experience a life, one that goes completely against the culture, but it's also one that is free, and it can, it can, can be experienced by everybody in this room through a relationship with Him. So what should we experience? What should our life look like? If this is what we are experiencing, then what should it be? So here's a couple of scriptures. Philippians 4, 6. A peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the, whole, the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. And then, leaving um, to the main passage that I want to discuss tonight, and you can put it up on the screen, it's Matthew 11, um, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Um, and so... Um, I'll read it for us really quick. Um, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, And I think this is interesting. First off, um, to give some context, when when it says yoke there, um, this is like an ancient metaphor, basically, um, from 2,000 years ago. But... It's the yoke was the wooden cross piece that went between two oxen um, and attached to the plow and um, would pull the plow down the field. And so the question is, how do we participate in these promises? How do we how do we experience a similar life to Jesus while he was on earth? How do we find rest for our souls and win back our lives from modernity? Dallas Willard called it the secret of the easy yoke. And the secret is adopting Jesus' lifestyle. I think that's what these verses teach us. And so if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, hear this. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to experience the lifestyle of Jesus. We have to take Jesus seriously as a teacher and not just a Savior. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I think often we miss that first part, the way part. He offers us often a set of ideas, maybe a theology or a worldview, or he offers us a do's and don'ts list, kind of like an ethic, but he doesn't offer us a lifestyle. And I think this passage is super interesting um, for a couple reasons. First, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Because Jesus um, offers us a farming tool as our ticket to rest for our souls. He offers us work, not rest. Tools, not a vacation. It feels counterintuitive, but I think Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear the responsibility of living in this world. He doesn't offer us some escape, but rather the tools to bear the weight of humanity with ease. And I think that's the point, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and this, is, this is where the connection happens. Um, and it's like two oxen, right, walking alongside where he does the heavy lifting and we just accompany him next to him, right? 
at his pace, slow, unhurried, present in the moment, full of love, peace, and joy, the things that we read about in the scriptures, we can experience them. So that's great, right? That's, that's awesome. But how, how do we accomplish this? How do we go from, from theory to practice? Um, first, we must, first, it starts with a trust in the character of God in order to properly get under that yoke and let him take over. It starts with surrender. Um, C.S. Lewis says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet, be done, had yet been done. And so when I say surrender, I want to be careful. I don't, I don't mean you get resaved over and over again. Um, that happens by grace through, by grace through faith um, and is only necessary once. But we do constantly have to put God back on the throne of our lives. We constantly have a million things vying for that position, whether it's ourselves, whether it's school, whether it's a relationship. Um, but we have to constantly put God right back up, up there. And so I think this is a daily practice that we have to get accustomed to. So I think the most important discovery that we make in this walk of faith is the unconditional love of God, because from that love flows everything else. And discovery happens in experience. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And so from that, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And, and this verse, honestly, is hard for me. Um, because I think often, right, for a lot of people in this room, believing God is, is existing, believing in a higher power, might honestly be the hang-up. I think the hang-up, honestly, is trusting in God's character. Trusting in the character of the God that we already think exists. And this, this is where I get hung up. This is what's hard for me. And this is often what causes me to fall back into old patterns that causes me to experience the things that we talked about earlier. I often believe these lies, and, and maybe you'll relate to them, um, that tell me my obedience strengthens or weakens the love of God, that the love of the Father is often infected with disappointment, that I must live in a certain way in order to experience the love of God. And I think this is the way often we're wired, we're performance-based people and especially if you're an athlete right you are what you put on tape and so it's just that's kind of like the way that we're wired to think but like I said earlier Jesus's gospel is upside down the father loves us like a dad who has a child with a disease when that disease sin causes us to stumble and hurt ourselves or somebody else his most intense love flows down Puritan theologian Thomas Goodwin said in our greatest misery God's most intense love flows down once we discover God's unconditional love, then we can live from it. And so I think this is the key, and this is something that's been really powerful for me, is that it's obedience from love, not for love. From love, not for love. Living our lives from union with Christ, not for it. Living from the unwavering smile of heaven, not for the smile of heaven. I think this is really how our burden remains light. This is how we experience this yoke that, that's talked about. And, and this is the beauty of the gospel, right? God didn't lower the standard of holiness. He didn't lower the standard of holiness. He found a way to make us holy, to make us beloved, and it has nothing to do with our performance and everything to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is the beauty of grace. Love embraced becomes love extended. Love embraced allowed us, allows us to treat everybody as if they were truly made in the image of God, to actually love our neighbor as ourselves. So, how do we remain in this love once we discover it? 
And I think prayer is one of the most important parts of that, one of the most important pieces. Um, and to start, I think prayer often gets missed um, because we have so many things kind of like that we're wrestling with or things that are challenging our prayers because we think we're doing it wrong. But I will encourage you, and I will say that this was so helpful for me, the most important step in prayer, honestly, is just to show up. I think that's the first and the most important step is to just show up and to start talking to God. Um, because you have to remember that God is talking to children. He's not grading essays, right? Our prayers don't have to be perfect. They can be honest, and that's how God wants them to be. And so I want to give kind of two practicals into the, this experience of prayer um, and kind of how we can and how I've been able to um, experience God on a deeper level. Um, so this kind of brings us back to the lifestyle part of Jesus, right? If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to experience the lifestyle of Jesus. So when, when reading the Gospels and when you get in the Word for your own, like, look out for, like, how does Jesus live his life? Like, it's the teachings and, and the parables and, and all of that stuff is, is powerful, but also, like, how is Jesus just going about his daily life? Like, what are the little things? So Mark 1.35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5.16, But he would frequently withdraw to a desolate place to pray. Um, when reading some commentaries on this, a, a common theme in Luke's gospel is that the busier and more in demand and more famous that Jesus became, the more he withdrew to his quiet place to pray. This wasn't a one-time thing, but an ongoing rhythm of his life. And it should be for us too. And I think Jesus is showing us something throughout the Gospels. In moments of greatest stress, busyness, anxiety, he turns to his source of prayer to be filled with the strength necessary to take on the challenge ahead. So I offer you a challenge. The next time the anxiety is crippling, you feel apathetic, you feel numb to life, the stress, the weight of the world feels like it's too much to bear, don't turn to another night out. Don't turn to another guy or girl that will leave you emptier than before, and don't try to simply survive till spring break. Instead, we can step under that yoke. We can take Jesus' life and his, as an example and turn to him in prayer um, and give him time. I encourage you, for, for something that's been really, really beneficial to me is just go for a walk. Talk to God. Taste and see with no expectations um, and just feel his goodness. Experience the power that is in you through the Holy Spirit and then be filled by that source. What we really need is not those other things. But what we really need is time alone with God. We must let our souls catch up to our bodies. And it, and it needs to be a daily thing. And I think that is where the inconsistencies happen is when it's kind of few and far between. Or, you know, you have a big moment at a, at a church camp where you spend, you know, an hour out in prayer, and then you feel, like, on top of the world. Like, maybe those two things are correlated, but there's also, like, times in our day, right? Like, sometimes it's like, oh, no, I don't got a whole hour to go, like, walk around the lake, and then it's like your screen time is four hours a day. So it's like you do have time in there. And I think this was what was so impactful for me was just realizing how helpful it is to just, like, turn the phone off. Um, and just experience God. So we must learn to be still before the Lord in prayer often. Tyler Statton said, Stillness is the quiet space where God migrates from the periphery 
back to the center. It's, and prayer pours forth from that life that has God at the center. Stillness transforms us into this unhurried love. In this place that God takes over um, and shows us the source of our desires and, and where we find them um, to be at their fullest satisfaction. Henry Nouwen says, Solitude is the furnace for transformation. So, I think this is one thing that, that was new to me and has it, and become really powerful and it, it is a beautiful thing. Um, prayer is not always us talking, right? It's not always us doing all the communication, right? It's a two-way relationship. So, if Jesus would pray for an entire night sometimes, right, I don't think, like, he would talk the whole time. Um, and so, I think through these experiences, we can find and experience the power of God. And so, for thousands of years, Christians have practiced solitude and silence before the Lord. Um, and, and it was a much more common practice, actually, in ancient Christianity, um, the closest time to, to Jesus and, and you know, in the 4th and 5th century, whatever. Um, and so I, I encourage you to try sitting alone with God. Go on a walk. Uh, walk to class instead of ride your scooter or whatever. And like, and like <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, which I'm guilty of. I do the same thing. But I, I, I really have, like, it's, it's, it's cool because you go for a walk, right? Turn the phone off, put it on Do Not Disturb, whatever, and don't put AirPods in and just, like, listen to the Lord and, like, talk to him right, and, and, and treat it like a conversation, right, what are the things that are hard, what are the things that you're struggling, what are, what are the things you're grateful for, like, watch how that transforms your mind, and so the point is it's about sacrificing time to God, right, it's an act of purification where we quiet the noise and give room for God to speak, and, you know, so there's all this external noise, and if we let it kind of, like, inhabit us, then it becomes internal noise, so, like, how do we keep internal peace with all the external noise that we face, so I think silence and solitude is a really big part of that. And so one, one encouragement is that when it feels like nothing is happening, when it feels like you're not hearing any from, anything from God, when you're just like sitting there and you're just like kind of looking around in your thoughts or whatever, like trust God is still working, right? Because it's about sacrifice. It's not about some like big revelation. Um, while I think that does happen and it will happen, um, that's not necessarily the purpose. And so the last thing um, is, is rhythms of prayer. Um, and this has been really helpful for me in finding consistent um, time with God. And it doesn't have to be long. Um, so I think it's interesting. The only, th- the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus uh, on how to do something was how to pray. Right? The disciples never actually asked Jesus, like, how do we cast out demons? How do we heal the sick? How do we feed 5,000 people? How do we start the church? Right? For some reason, something about the way Jesus' prayer life looked to them that's what they asked. At least that's the, the thing recorded. Um, and I think, I think there's a purpose in that, right? Because even in, in first century Judaism, like, they would have had rhythms of prayer, right? And so they would have been used to praying three times a day. Their, their clocks would have been almost like, you know, scheduled by their prayer. And so it's not like these dudes didn't know how to pray or hadn't prayed before, but there was something so radical about Jesus' prayer life because it was where he got his source from. It was where he got his plan from. It was where he got his strength from to take on the challenges and the power that he had. And so, you know, I think um, the rhythm is really important. And so a, a rhythm that I, I read about in a book that I think kind of, kind of emulates um, early church rhythm um, is a morning, a midday, and an evening prayer. And they can be simple. A, a morning prayer 
that follows the Lord's Prayer. Um, let that guide your prayer. Like, it doesn't have to be like you just recite it, but like recite it and say it, but then also like think about the words that you're saying, right? Like the very first thing, our Father, right? Like the first point, the first things that Jesus says is like our Father, and that's like set your identity well, like right, right? Like the first thing is like I'm a son, I'm a daughter. Like that's like the first statement, right? And then hallowed be thy name. Like, Lord, I make your name holy. I put you back on the throne, right? And so learn to pray through that. In the midday, I think this has been really cool for me and like just walking from class to class or whatever, Pray for the lost. Pray for people that you love that are in your life that might not know Jesus or whatever. Um, And just lift those people up and see what God does with that. And then finally in the evening, um, pray prayers of gratitude. Whether your day sucked or whether it was awesome, there's always things to be grateful for. Um, And so finally, as 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 you go on this journey of prayer, a question that I think is really convicting but also really helpful is, if all my prayers came true in the last week, like, would the world change? Like, am I praying to a God that has the ability to change the world? Or am I praying, like, simple prayers, like, almost downplaying, like, what, his, what he is capable of? And so I think there's, there's a boldness we should have to prayer um, that's really important. And so I just think thinking about that has been helpful for me and just re- recognizing, like, Sometimes I'm, like, diminishing what God can do, right? Like, pray in a way that God can either disappoint you or completely surprise you every day. Um, so I leave you all with this um, as, I, as I close. Um, our lives are about intimacy. Our lives are about intimacy with Jesus. Um, the, the peace, the joy, the fruitfulness, the ability to love others well, I think all of that is a collateral gain of the intimacy. It has to start there. Um, so, uh, I hope to see, after this, maybe some of y'all out there walking around the lake or behind North Village um, uh, or, or anywhere on this campus in prayer, right? In kind of like a quiet rebellion to the things of this world, living out the free gift to live by a different order, marching to the different beat in the provision of a completely other king, King Jesus, not the king of this world. So, in closing, um, I thank y'all for having me up here. I'm going to pray, um, and then I guess the worship team is going to come back up here. So, let's bow our heads. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much just for this opportunity. I thank you for everybody that's in this room right now, Lord, just the way that you are impacting them, um, the way that you are working in all of our lives, working on this campus, Lord. I pray that you would continue to move. I pray that your presence would be felt here and that the people in this room would leave feeling encouraged, Lord. Um, I also lift up the, and recognize that the things in this world are not always great, and right now the people in Turkey and Syria are suffering from another pretty detrimental earthquake, Lord. So our prayers go out to them, Lord. We pray that you would do something incredible there, that you would um, send people, um, that help would be found, Lord, and that as many people that can be saved would be saved, Lord. We pray that you would be present there, and we trust that you are still good no matter what happens, Lord. Um, again, we just, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, and I pray that you would just be with all these people. In Jesus' name, amen.